Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. Praise the Lord. Well, you know, when it comes to uh, relaxing and, uh, you know, just uh, some hobby, something that you just enjoy doing, just to kind of unwind, um, I I enjoy a good movie. Uh, Anybody enjoy a good movie, like just a a good movie? Um, And oftentimes, you know, with these movies, when when you have a really good movie that you enjoy or that people enjoy, it comes out, it's a really good movie. Oftentimes, writers and producers, even before it's really come out, if they think it's gonna be a hit, oftentimes record a sequel. Uh, and if it's really good, they record a trilogy. And uh, so one of my favorite uh, trilogies uh, is the Star Wars trilogy. Anybody love Star Wars? Uh, I like the original three, the ones that they kind of tried to make after. I didn't really find that they really hit it. I don't know about you, but that, that was me. You know, sometimes... They, they, they just don't. Sometimes, you know, a sequel just does, isn't as good as the original, and you really wish the writers just would have stopped right there than trying to force something. Uh, I remember with kids' movies, you know, we'd, we'd, we'd watch, uh, we watched the original Cars. Anybody like the original Cars movie? And then Cars 2 came out. I don't know. I mean, you can argue with me. But I was like, ah. And then they d- tried that thing with planes or whatever it was, and I'm like, oh, now you're reaching. You're just trying to make a buck, you know? Sometimes it's good, sometimes it isn't. Another trilogy that I really enjoy, a man movie, is the Born, the Born series, Born Identity, Born Ultimatum. Anybody like the Born movies? Yeah, I know, they can be a little rough, you know, but there's something about the high-end adventure and those kind of things, but sometimes, you know, there, there, are, there are movies that really hit, and, and, and they have great sequels, and other times, not so good. Well, I, I want to encourage you today. We're going to dive in and begin uh, a study into uh, another book of the Bible. It's actually a letter uh, that was written by the Apostle Paul. And we're going to be in the letter of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. And I want you to know that, that as I dive in, there is a letter to 1 Corinthians, there's a letter to 2 Corinthians, and we're going to talk about some lost letters in between. But the sequel, I think, is just as good as the original. <laughs> the, the, the second letter to the Corinthians, I mean, the Holy Spirit inspired it, so it's going to be good, right? I don't want to give that, but I, I got to be honest with you. As I have dove into studying 2 Corinthians, what I found is a very personal letter written by the Apostle Paul in which he begins to open up and he reveals and shares some things about himself and his humanity. He begins to open up, and, and, and in this, we, we find passages of Scripture that we love, where, where Paul opens up and shares about uh, a thorn that he had in his, his flesh, something that, that he said was a, uh, something that came uh, from Satan and, 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 and was just buffeting him, and he prayed three times for, for the Lord to take it away, and, and rather than God taking it away, how many of you love the passage, my grace is sufficient for you. Did you know that came out of 2 Corinthians? In 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about treasures that we have in jars of clay, talking about our humanity. And as he opens the letter, as we dive in, he's going to open up and talk about, as we read in the opening today, praise be to God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the God of all comfort, 
who comforts us. You see, the letter that we're going to talk about has a theme that we'll dive into over the next several weeks as we dive into it and look at different pieces. Talks about strength in weakness. Paul begins to get very personal and he begins to open up his heart to us and he begins to show us a different side uh, of who he is. Again, Paul planted the church in Corinth. He stayed there 18 months and, uh, and then serious problems arose after he left. So he left Corinth after spending 18 months there planting and sowing and building up this church and he leaves and serious problems begin to erupt and, and after his departure. So 1 Corinthians 4.17 tells us that he had sent Timothy there and, and, and then uh, he wrote a, a letter that we call 1 Corinthians to deal with some of the issues that, that were happening and arising in the church, a church that was known as a very spiritual church, a very charismatic church flowing in the gifts of the spirit yet a very immoral church, a church that, that was very much uh, uh, dealing with immorality, dealing with sexual immorality, dealing with all kinds of conflict and a lack of love and unity. And Paul begins to address some of those issues in 1 Corinthians. And, and unfortunately, though, the matter grew worse. Paul had to make what he calls a painful visit to Corinth to confront some troublemakers some people that were stirring up trouble that after Paul left, others came in and they began to question Paul's apostleship. And they began to say that Paul isn't a good leader and Paul doesn't know what he's talking about. And Apollos is better. And there were all of these things. And so Paul made a painful visit according to 2 Corinthians chapter 2 that we'll look at. And still there was no solution. And then according to 2 Corinthians 2, 4 through 9, he delivered another letter, a severe letter, one that we don't know what it was, we don't have record of it, it wasn't kept, but a severe letter that was delivered by Titus. And after a great deal of distress, Paul uh, finally meets up with Titus and, and hears that some of the issues had finally been resolved. This conflict that he had with this church as a, a leader, Paul's just dealing with, with conflict with other leaders. And now as a result of what he hears after meeting with Titus, he writes this letter, 2 Corinthians. And again, it's the last of four letters, really, two of them that we do not have. After a painful visit and a plant, a church plant, 1 Corinthians, we have that letter. We don't have the other two, but we do have preserved for us this letter called 2 Corinthians. And unlike movie sequels or trilogies, as I shared before, that oftentimes aren't good, it's one of the most heartfelt and encouraging letters. It was written around 56 AD after Paul had to leave Ephesus. So Paul had moved from Corinth and moved on to Ephesus, where God began to do some great things in the city of Ephesus, so much so that, that the economy was being hit. And, and so some of the businessmen were getting mad because they're idol making and, 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 and their idol worship and worshiping other gods and goddesses. All of a sudden their economy was impacted. How many of you know that, that even if God is in it, even if Christ is in it, if people feel it in their pocketbook, they have a tendency to get upset. 
And it stirred up all kinds of trouble, so much so that there was a big riot that took place. And, 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 and after things got calmed down, Paul had to leave the city. And so this is after he had to leave the city of Ephesus, a big riot. And so you have these problems in Corinth, and you have problems in Ephesus, and things that he's been building, and all of a sudden things now, persecution. And you wonder, is it going to last? Is what we've been building and what we've been doing and what we've been seeing, all of our hard work? and all of the stuff that we put in, is it going to last? And, and we find that, that, that Paul just opens up his heart and shares some very personal thoughts to the people in the Corinthian church. In fact, one writer said this about 2 Corinthians, that it's not a sermon like Romans or Ephesians that can be easily outlined. They describe it as a messy letter, just like personal letters, full of personal feelings and, and, and experiences interspersed between some terrific teaching. It's like life, messy because how many know people are messy, right? Relationships are messy. How many would say, my relationships can get messy? People are messy, right? We Messy, messy business, right? Circumstances get messy. Community, how many know community, even in the church, gets messy, Right? And so today we're going to dive into 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And again, not verse by verse. We're going to take it section by section as we begin to see Paul open up his heart. Strength in weakness. Again, probably one of the most important words that we are going to find throughout the entire letter is the word comfort. It's the word comfort. In fact, this Greek word comfort means called to one side to help or alongside. And I'm going to explain that in just a few moments. But it's used 18 times in this letter, 11 times as a noun, 18 times, 11 times as a noun. And in spite of all the trials that Paul experienced, which he says were by the grace of God, he was able to write a letter that is just saturated with encouragement. So I just want to encourage, if you've been going through a difficult time. If you've been struggling, maybe something's happening in your family, something's happening at work, maybe you're going through something physically and you just are battling, and maybe there's just a lot of stress, a lot of pressures that are taking place, maybe you're going through a season in your life of grief or loss, uh, separation, stress, I want to encourage you, this letter will encourage you. This letter will encourage you. In fact, right out of the gate, this letter will encourage you. When you find yourself discouraged and you're ready to quit. Friends, get your attention off yourself and focus on God. And that's what this letter is going to help us do. It's going to help us look up today because out of his own difficult experience, Paul explains the place of suffering, the purpose of suffering, and how we can persevere in suffering. So let's take a look at some simple reminders when it comes to suffering from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, can we? The first reminder is this, the place of suffering Remember what God is to you. Remember who God is to you. Who is God to you? What's the place of suffering? Where does it add in this place? Look at the opening greeting, and, and I want to read it again. We read it at the beginning. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Paul begins with praise. He's going to talk in a little bit about affliction. That's going to be another word that we see in these first couple of verses that shows up over and over again. But five times, Paul is going to use the word comfort just in, the, in these first couple of verses. Five times, he uses the word comfort. But in the midst of the affliction, in the midst of the trouble, Paul begins with praise. He begins with praise. 
Why does he begin with praise? How can he begin with praise? He points out that he is God the Father, uh, that God is the Father and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, if he's going to talk about suffering, look who he brings into it. Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus suffered. And we're going to look at that in just a moment because he begins to bring more of that into it. Why? When it comes to suffering, how many of you know Jesus understands suffering? Jesus knows difficulty. If you've ever been betrayed by someone or you've ever experienced rejection, Jesus knows what you're going through. If you've ever lost a friend, if you've ever lost somebody that you love or you've ever been in a conflict situation and there were people that that didn't like you, Jesus knows what you've gone through. If you ever had to walk alongside and deal with people who are difficult and just don't get it, You know, you're spending time, you're investing, you're walking, and it just seems like they just have more questions and answers, and they do things that just, you're like, why, didn't you hear me? Didn't you get, Jesus gets it. If you've ever experienced pain, or you've ever experienced temptation, or you've gone through some things, I want you to know, Jesus gets it. And and Paul begins with praise and says, praise be to our God and Father our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's going to enter in and talk about suffering, and he knows that, that Jesus gets it. And so he wants us to lift our eyes on to Jesus, to lift our eyes on to God. Why? Because he is not only the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, but look what it says. He is the Father of compassion. The Father of compassion. When I, when I take a look at the, the word Father, uh, how many of you like some soul music? Anybody like James Brown? Woo! Right? James Brown, he's, the, he's called what? The father of soul, right? Anybody who, who is into medicine or has a medical background probably knows that the father of medicine was a Greek by the name of Hippocrates. Right? He's called the father of modern medicine. If you're into civil engineering, I did a little bit of study, and a guy by the name of John Smeaton is, the, is a British civil engineer. He's called the father of civil engineering. And, uh, and maybe if you enjoyed air conditioning, and I'm pretty sure some of you are feeling that air conditioning and saying it's way too cold in here this morning, Pastor. The father of, of air conditioning was Willis Carrier. The father of air conditioning. In fact, when the Hebrews would use the word father, they used it as a term that meant originator. Originator. I mean, think about it. We're, we're, here he's called the father of compassion. But think about something else. In John eight forty four, Satan is called the father of lies. Why? Because lies originate with him. But Paul, in describing God, says he is the father, he is the originator of compassion. Which means that compassion is not just something that he does. Compassion is who he is. It's in the very nature of God. It's the very nature of God. He is the God of all comfort. We get another word, consolation, from the same word that is in the Greek. It's repeated 10 times in just chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. That, is, that word is used 10 times, not just to offer sympathy when we suffer. He just doesn't pat us on the head and, and, and give us a piece of chocolate and say, it'll be okay. Although chocolate's pretty good when you're suffering, right? I mean, who can turn down a little, little suffering, a little chocolate when you're suffering? No! There is more loaded into this word comfort, the God of all comfort. In fact, the English word comfort comes from two Latin words that mean with strength. 
It's not just comfort. It means with strength. In fact, the Greek word here is parakaleo. Parakaleo. Do you know what paraclete? It's the same root as paraclete. Do you know who was called the paraclete? And in the book of John, who's called the paraclete in John chapter 14 and John chapter 16, he is also called the comforter or the counselor. He is the Holy Spirit. Why? Because God is the father of compassion, the the one who is the father of strength. He is the one who comes alongside through the Holy Spirit in our time of need. Come on, folks. Woo! It's in his nature. The Holy Spirit is the strengthener. You and I are not alone. That's why Jesus said, unless I go, it's good for me to go. If I don't go, the Holy Spirit cannot come. And when you know Jesus Christ, when you put your faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us to strengthen us. Our paraclete, one who comes alongside, our strengthener. David Garland writes this, God's comfort strengthens weak knees and sustains sagging spirits so that one faces trouble of life with an unbending resolve and an unending assurance. Man, that's good. So friends, when you find yourself discouraged, look up, look to the Lord and realize all that God is to you, the place that God is to you. When it comes to suffering, we can look at our circumstances or we can do what the psalmist said in Psalm 121, one and two, I lift up my eyes to the hills and where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Oh, come on, somebody. The creator, the maker, the one who has the power to do whatever needs to be done. The power to part seas. The power to heal blind eyes. The power to heal leprosy and open deaf ears. The power to make the lame walk. The power to raise the dead. We've got the, the, uh, uh, a God who is Jehovah Jireh, a God who is able to provide whatever we need because he has all of the resources and all of the treasures of heaven are found in him. Look up, look up, look up, look up, look up. Your strengthener. He is your strength and comfort. Secondly, Paul begins to get into a little bit of the purpose of suffering. In other words, remember what God can do through you. Remember what God can do through you. Let's look at verses four to seven. Who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So as we receive, we can give. For just as you share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we're distressed, it's for what? For your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, comforted, it's for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance in the same sufferings that we suffer. Look how much of this is linked to others. And our hope for you is firm. Because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, you also share in our comfort. Man, there's a mouthful here, right? 
one of the problems with suffering is oftentimes we struggle to say, what is the meaning of this? Why do I have to go through this? If I'm struggling, if I'm suffering, if God isn't answering, if I'm going through a difficult time, I want it to have meaning. I want, it to, I want there to be some kind of a purpose, some kind of a, a meaning behind it. I think it was Nietzsche that said that, if, that, that he who has a why to live can bear almost any how. In fact, oftentimes, suicide and depression come from a lack of hope. It's not so much the circumstances as much as it is when you get to the place where you feel as if there is no more hope. There's no more answer. There's no more light left. Hope is a big thing. Having a hope, having a purpose, having a why. Some of you have been going through some things and you need a why. You need a why today. You need a purpose today. And in these verses, Paul provides some reasons why God will allow us to go through suffering and to go through difficulty and to go through trouble and affliction. Affliction, our troubles, and, and other translations, troubles is affliction, who comforts us in our affliction so we can comfort those in any affliction. Abundantly in sufferings, the word suffering and affliction is used over and over and over again. And trouble and affliction here is also to incorporate the idea of stress. Stress. It, 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 it's, it includes more than just persecution and trials. The, the word actually means anxiety and pressure and stress. Anybody under some anxiety and stressor, stress and pressure? Anybody know somebody that is? You might want to share this message with them. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're facing pressure and anxiety and stress. If anything, over this last year, there's been a lot of anxiety and pressure and stress. There's a lot of people facing that. But, oh, friends, we've got the Father of compassion. The Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, to help us in these seasons. Why do we go through these things? Well, first, it's obvious to comfort and encourage others. You know, something that I've been guilty of and that I've observed is that sometimes when you're in a season of suffering or you're going through something, you have a tendency to get a little selfish. Can I just be honest? I mean, when you go through something and, and you're, start, you're suffering and you're struggling and you're going through, you have a tendency to, to get the eyes on you and your problems and tell everybody about your problems and, and want everybody to help you with your problem and my problem and my problem is so bad and this is so terrible for me. And, and I think there's, there's a human nature part that a little of it, we do, we, we need others. And so there's a little bit of, of selfishness that sometimes does come, but I think that sometimes we can get stuck there. Where we can get a little woe is me. Where we can get stuck with our eyes on us and our problems. And, and we, we just stop caring about everybody else because our problems are much bigger. And why, that, that's not that. It's just my problems are bigger. But Paul says that no, when you suffer, when you, when you struggle, when you go through something, something that is very helpful and something that is very healing is when you begin to take what you're going through and you look out and you say, how can I use what I'm going through to comfort someone else who is suffering? To come alongside, to be the, the parakletos, to come alongside someone else who is going through something. 
And I find that when we begin to share in someone else's suffering, when we begin to come alongside and try to help and bring comfort, we find strength in ourselves. We, there is a new strength in us when we begin to comfort others. And Paul reminds us that the strength and the comfort that, that we experience is to come alongside others. Later in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul gives an example of this. And, and again, describing that thorn in the flesh situation, he asked for the Lord to remove it on three different occasions. He was, Lord, remove this. Lord, I don't want to go through this. Lord, remove this. He kind of opened up his soul. And rather than God taking it away, God says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Had Paul not suffered, he would not have had these words to encourage us that so many times we draw upon for strength when prayers are not answered or when things are not changed in our circumstances after we've prayed. We find comfort in these words as we say what the apostle Paul said and learned, my grace is sufficient for you. God, your grace is greater. Your grace is greater. In fact, the subject of human suffering is not easy to understand. There are mysteries that, that, that are the working of God that we never grasp. There are answers that we don't have this side of heaven. Can we just be honest? There are tragedies that don't make sense. Last weekend, right before I got up to preach, I got a text from my son at, who was at college and the night before that Saturday evening, one of the freshmen who had come into to college in their class and with them had uh, everything in front of them, life in front of them, was, was going for ministry and, and worship in the guitar, 18 years old, had just turned 18, graduated from high school just that, that, um, that spring, was in a terrible, tragic car accident and passed away. We were at the funeral yesterday and, and hearing... Uh, just the encouragement of this life that was lived for Jesus. And, and yet, at 18 years old and feeling the call of God and going into the ministry, a tragedy like that doesn't make sense. It causes us to question. It causes us to say, why? Friends, there are some things I just don't understand. But I do know that the words and the phrases here is that that we are comforted in our tribulation, in our affliction, in our trouble, that we might be a comfort to others, that a purpose in that. Some of the greatest encouragers are people who have walked the road and been through it and seen the hand of God who are able to help others walk that road. I read an article about Chuck Colson. You might remember him from the, the scandal in, in politics with Richard Nixon. And, 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 and Chuck Colson was one of the only ones out of that entire thing to end up in prison. And he was a little, he was a little salty about that. It was bad. What he did was bad. He, he, he needed to be experienced some punishment from that, but he felt like the punishment didn't match the crime that he was treated differently from everyone else. And that he had to, he ended up in prison and he often struggled with that. The humiliation, the, 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 the shame, the, 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 uh, disgrace of, of, of being in prison, some of the discontent that he experienced. And so when he was in there, he was struggling and and then the Lord began to reveal to him when he was in there. He began to look around. God got a hold of his heart. And he began to recognize as he was in there and learn that there were forgotten men and women who were in prison that had faced some injustices or difficulty, or had struggled with people uh, not wanting to help them recover. 
And there was born inside of him a great compassion and desire to help. And so when he ended up getting out of prison, he began a prison ministry. A prison ministry that has impacted so many people, both in the United States and around the world. You see, Chuck Colson was sent to prison so that he might learn compassion to be able to be compassionate to others who were walking that road. A second reason that we experience suffering, a second purpose, is that we might experience the depths of God's strength. Say, Pastor, what do you mean? Look at verse 5. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. In other words, the depth of the comfort that we receive is equal to the depth of the suffering that we experience. And oftentimes, we don't know the depths of God's comfort and the depths of the strength that God offers and the power that the Lord has to be able to, to meet us in the most, the, the most struggling and hard times until we've been through them. Oh, we can say, God is the God of comfort. God is the God of strength. But until you've been in a place where you're ready to give up and his strength is the only thing pulling you along, you never truly know the depth of his strength, the depth of his comfort. There was an overflow as you share in the sufferings of Christ, as you share in that pressure and that, that stress abundantly, so also you receive the abundant comfort of the Lord in these troubles, his mercy and his strength. All too often, friends, God has to work in us before he can work through us. God has to work in us before he can work through us. It's much easier for us to, to grow. We're supposed to grow in the knowledge and the grace of God, right? But it's so easy to grow in the knowledge Knowledge is one of those things I can memorize a lot of facts and I can remember a lot of things and I can get a lot of things into my head. But when it comes to character and when it comes to maturity and when it comes to the things that have to get in my heart, not just the words on a page that get in my head, but when those words translate to something inside my heart, it takes a lot more. And sometimes it's in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the pressure, in the midst of the trials, in the midst of the troubles that begin to take us deeper so that it's not not just something that we read on a page that's in our head, but something that we experience deeply and transforms us in our heart. And it's out of that abundance, out of that part, that then we begin to share with others. One of the other pastors of scripture that I love is those who have been forgiven much, love much. If we forget how much we've been forgiven, or if we don't feel as if we need forgiveness, because we're a pretty good person, and we're going to become a very judgmental person. We're not going to be able to love to the depths until we recognize first how much we've been loved. And that's the same thing with comfort. We don't recognize and have the compassion. We don't have the ability to be able to, to comfort and to be able to strengthen Unless we ourselves have walked through something to where we can say there is help in our time of need, right? Hebrews chapter 4, 16 talks about Jesus, our great high priest, right? He, he's not unable to sympathize with our weakness. He was tested in any way as we are. Therefore, we can come into the throne of grace 
to find help in our time of need. Do you know that that, that section there, time of need, what it, what it means is, is help when you need it or timely help. But you only know that when you're in a place where you need it. Thirdly, our purpose for suffering is we learn not to rely on ourselves. We learn to rely on God. You learn to rely on God and not yourself. 2 Corinthians 1, 8 to 10. This is Paul. Remember, this is, this is superpower Paul, right? Paul who plants churches. Paul who endures beatings. Paul who stood up and, 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 and would preach in, in, in this crowds. Paul who doesn't seem afraid of anything. Paul who just, he is the mighty apostle. Here it is. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experience in the province of Asia. Probably in, in Ephesus, that whole thing that happened in Acts chapter 19. We were under great pressure. Look at this. Far beyond our ability to endure. So that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. Can we just pause there for a moment? Do you you recognize the depths of what Paul is saying? What Paul is saying is we got... We got to a place where we were a little, we were, we were discouraged. We were a little more than discouraged. We, we might have been downright depressed. We, we were feeling like there was this hopelessness. I mean, do, do you see that? Far beyond our ability to endure. God doesn't give you more than you can handle. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Because it's not about you being able to handle it. If you can handle it, you don't need God. Don't take 1 Corinthians 10, 13 out of, out of place, or is it 2 Corinthians 10, 13? I don't know what it is. The one about, uh, you know, no temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to man, and God is faithful, and every temptation he provides a way of escape that you may be able to stand up under it. You know that passage? That's about temptation. And in temptation, he doesn't give you a temptation that you can't resist. He provides a way of escape, and he is the strength through the Holy Spirit. But when it comes to trials, and when it comes to tribulation, and when it comes to trouble, and when it comes to the things in this life, yes, God gives us much more than we can bear. Much more than we could ever do on our own. So that we come to the same place that Paul did, where we begin to recognize, I am, I am at this place of despair. I despaired of life itself. We felt we received the sentence of death. We're on death row. It is over. We don't see hope. We don't see life. Oh, but this happened. Here it is. I mean, I love the, the but this happened. Here's the reframing. Here's the purpose. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but God. How can we rely on God in the midst of that? How can we rely on God? Well, here it is. Our God who raises the dead. Well, how about that? He has delivered us from such a deadly peril. And he will deliver us again. Oh, man, that's so good. On him, we've set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. Come on. 
Come on, how in the midst of this? What? Why does God say, why does Paul say, we're in this place where we got a death sentence. We, we're despairing of life itself. Oh, but I'm going to repurpose this. Why? This happened so that I can say, in my power, there is no hope. In my power, I cannot get on. I may have a death sentence, but death is not the end. Death is not the end. Why? Because I serve a God who raises the dead. I serve a God who is a God of resurrection. I serve a God who is a God of hope. I serve a God who says, when there are things that look dead, when God is involved, it is not dead. It can be resurrected. There is hope in life in him. And you know what? He says, who delivered us from deadly peril, and he can do it again. Listen, if God chooses, he can do it again. We saw it in Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Hey, old Nebuchadnezzar, we're not going to bow down. And, 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 and our God is able to deliver. But if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down. He's able to deliver. He's able to raise the dead. But if not, it's okay because we know that he still wins. We, we don't have to despair. Oh, here it is. Right? We might not rely on ourselves, but God. But God. But God. Some of us are stubborn. Oh, we are so stubborn and self-willed. And we live in a, a, a country that just be on your own. Pick up your bootstraps. You can do it. You don't need anybody else. Hogwash. Sometimes God brings us to the place where he breaks us. Where he's got to break our stubbornness. And break our will. Where he's got to lead us to the place where we recognize that as strong as I think I am, I can't do this. I surrender. I surrender. Right? I want to know you, Lord. I want to know you, Lord. Right? Or is it just a song that we sing when we come in because it's the thing to sing? Oh, but then, then we see again that the, we see a God who doesn't have limitations. A.W. Tozer said this, how completely satisfying to turn from our limitations to a God who has none, to a God who has none. And here's where it comes in, all right? So we get to the end of ourselves and we rely on God, but there's something else when it comes to persevering it, 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 through suffering. I think a simple reminder is this, that there's power in a community, a power of community and suffering. And I think that's the third simple reminder that I want to encourage you with today, that there is power in community. How many times throughout this is the word share used? Just in these verses, we read 11, we, 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 read, we didn't even read 11 verses because we didn't read the introduction verses one and two. That's powerful. Read it on your own. Verses three to 11, eight verses. All right, in eight, in eight verses, how many times is the word share used? Verse five, just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ. Just as we, we share abundantly. Verses eight through 10, in terms of, of sharing, this, I can't rely on myself. And then you get into, you get into this next, verse seven. Our, our hope is firm because you know that just as you share in our suffering, so also you share 
in our comfort. Share, 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 share. God comforts us that we might comfort others. Share. What, is, what do we have? What we have here is the power of community, the value of community. Well, I don't, I don't have to go to church or, 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 or be a part of a church to be a Christian. Ah, read your Bible. Because that's not biblical anywhere in Scripture, is it? Right from the very beginning, God said it's not good that man should be alone. He made in the image of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So if we're made in the image of God, when we're not in community, when we're not a part of a bigger community. Oh, by the way, Paul talks about the body of Christ, right? That, that you're not your own, you were bought with a price. You're not your own. All this stuff about independence, it's not about independence, it's about being dependent on God. And the community that we see, especially when it comes in times of trouble and affliction, we get the idea of community, the power of community, of sharing in one another's sufferings, sharing in the sufferings of Christ, and sharing in our own affliction with the purpose of comforting others. There's something powerful here about community. You can't go through it alone. The enemy loves to isolate. The enemy wants to get us in our suffering and get us focused on ourselves and oh, oh, oh and get depressed and put the covers up and lower the lights and don't get around anybody and oh, I'm terrible oh, this is awful oh, how do I get through you can't do it alone you can't do it alone you've got to open up and allow others in you've got to do it in the context of community I don't have time for that you don't have time not to have that I'm, I'm, a little, I'm getting a little more. I know, Pastor, you're supposed to be encouraging. I am. Because I know the only answer to you finding hope is when you get around others who can walk with you through it. And you can walk with them. You might need a little something, but then you got to give a little something. It's this idea of sharing. And last time I thought, I thought sharing wasn't just one person sharing with another. Sharing was was both good sharers share both otherwise one of them is not a sharer they're just a taker and we got a world full of takers we got a consumer world what I can take what I can get what I can consume but Paul says as you share in our suffering so you share in our comfort sharing is about us opening up our hearts and being a part of community together I love how George Guthrie puts it, and I want to close and invite the worship team to come, and then we're going to end with communion and a time where we want to pray with you this morning. George Guthrie puts it this way, through sharing with another person our pain, our limitations, and our needs and hopes, we extend an offer. Hear me, embrace me, help me, walk with me, and allow me to walk with you in community. Sharing. So what do we do when we suffer? We hold on to these rock-solid truths. God is the Father of call comfort. He's the Father of compassion, the Father of mercies. He's the source. He's the resource. And His Son, Jesus, has been through it. Our great high priest who has timely help when we need it. We understand that there is purpose in our pain, purpose that we might be able to take what we have gone through to encourage one another. 
that we have gone through to learn, God, I know you're pressing me right now because you're getting me to surrender. You want me to stop relying on myself and start relying on you. God, I don't understand, but I'm going to press into you that I might troll down to the depths of your strength and your comfort and your Holy Spirit in me. And oh, that I might open myself up to recognize that I need others. That I need others as I walk through these things. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.